Coming up today on It's Time. This is kind of interesting that we're able to look into a person who loved God, a person to whom God communicated with, and yet look right into their prayer to find that they have oftentimes the same mumble grumbles against God that you do. Listening to It's Time with Pastor Mike Kessler, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we start one of the shorter books in the Bible, Habakkuk. This book of Habakkuk is the eighth book of the twelve minor prophets, and although many people skip over this brief tome, the anchoring message from the book is living by faith, the focus of our Christian walk. With part one of our series, here's Pastor Mike. As we look at the book of Habakkuk, these three chapters, actually, in dealing with the nation of Judah, uh, Habakkuk saw a lot of things that really bothered him. And in fact, actually, when we get to chapter 2, we find actually Habakkuk is somewhat checked in his spirit by the way that he talked to God, that he felt that he was speaking out of turn, that he was being too harsh with the Lord. And I, I understand that sometimes, you know, in our in our desperation to God, we go, "Hey, God, what's going on?" And and and, and like, you know, we expect a rebuke from the Lord for for being that way. And here you find that actually Habakkuk is just pouring out his heart before God. But I think it's important to, to notice that in this, you see really somebody quite humbly coming before God, but yet feeling that questioning God in some way was not really of a follower of Jehovah or at least in in the right sense. And which brings me to another thought is sometimes with the way I hear people address the Lord, even sometimes on Christian television and others, you know, uh, ordering God around and commanding him to heal and stuff where really it's the one who heals, please heal me. One who heals, please heal this person rather than God demand, you know, us, us demanding from God like he's our puppet or something. So the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now, the burden. By about this time, the Lord had spoken and said, I don't want to hear the burden of the Lord anymore. He got tired of hearing that uh, because it was being so widely abused. The Scripture tells us that. Uh, it, so by this time, uh, it had not yet happened. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, it says, and by the way, Habakkuk just means to bring in or hold close. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Their strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is literally shackled or chilled, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore the perverse judgment proceeds." Now, we find here that, again, he is, he is almost challenging God. God, why? Why, why are you doing, why is this happening? As he saw his nation of Judah, right, uh, during the time, probably towards the end of Manasseh's reign, Manasseh was this evil child of, of Hezekiah. Uh, we remember God had spoke to Hezekiah and said, okay, Hezekiah, pack your bags, it's time for you to go to heaven. And uh, Hezekiah, um, this is a Mike paraphrase, but actually he said, it's time for you to die, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, no, no, I'm too young to die. I'm too young to die. So he cried and, and, and begged and pleaded with God. And so God extended his life, uh, we remember, uh, as a demonstration by turning the sundial back. 
Well, we, we find in those extra years that God had given Hezekiah that he gave birth to a son named Manasseh. And Manasseh was this evil son that in the New Testament we find where there's a reference to even some of the prophets being sawn in two. And most uh, Bible historians accredit Manasseh with sawing the prophets in two. That's how evil this kid of Hezekiah was. Hezekiah was a good king, a godly king, but for some reason that was not transposed into his child's life. And so we find that because there wasn't a real press of the uh, any foreign power coming against the nation of Judah, they began to depart from the relationship with God. And, and so Habakkuk, seeing all this, cries out to God and says, says that, that iniquity is everywhere, sin's everywhere. I mean, I mean, violence is in the street. The trouble is everywhere. And God, why aren't you doing anything about it? Well, again, as you look at this, you always realize that uh, our timing is not God's timing, and certainly this is the way it was with Habakkuk. We we send, sometimes want to press God into doing something quicker than He wants to do when it's them that needs the judgment. And of course, when He when it comes to us, we always want God to give us a lot of mercy and a lot of time because you know we're deserving of it. Well, um, this is part of the problem that uh, is God's on His own time clock, and so He says, "Look." God's reply to uh, Habakkuk's uh, crying out to God. He goes, look among the nations and watch. And be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter hasty nations which marches through the breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not Theirs. Now, we're going to get into this in a little bit as we read up farther because this is something that, again, bothered uh, Hezekiah, uh, Habakkuk. Uh, it, it was something that troubled him because, again, taking things that weren't theirs and, and all, uh, the Chaldeans now have been noted as the people that are going to come in and judge the nation of Judah. It says they're terrible and dreadful. Their judgments and their Dignity proceed from themselves, uh, their their own standard, if you will. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're more fierce than evening wolves. They chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly like an eagle. It hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Now, I think this is interesting here because it doesn't say they all come for violence and booty. It doesn't say that. It says they all come for violence. So they're just, they're just scrapping for the sake of scrapping. They just like the fight. And so not only are they taking valuables, but they also are coming for the violence. Their face are set like the east wind, and they gather captives like sand. So they are definitely a, a force in which God has recognized will come. And they are coming to possess all the lands, it says. So, they scoff at their kings. Princes are scorned by them. They literally fight uh, every stronghold. They heap up mounds of earth and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses and commits offense, imputing this to the power of his God. Now, verse 11 is noteworthy here because it says that they, they make this, basically this world power, and it goes to their head. They become prideful. Now you remember, as we studied, this is right before, of course, the Babylonians came in and conquered uh, the 
people of Judah carried away captive. We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, children of Israel, all held all the way captive to Babylon. Well, we remember that it did indeed go to their heads. We remember that Nebuchadnezzar, it went to his head, and he became so filled with pride that he made the whole gold statue out in the desert, commanded everybody to, to worship it. We remember that he's the one that went out on his terrace and looked at the hanging gardens and what a beautiful city that he had made, and, and he said that he was like God. There was nobody like him, and God God reminded him who was God, and so for seven years, the Bible says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind, and this great king of this ruler of the Chaldeans that we're reading about here went completely crazy because of his pride. Now here, it tells us exactly what the downfall of the Chaldeans of Babylon is going to be, and that is going to be pride. Then he his mind changes, and he transgresses. See, God used him to bring about a judgment upon the nation of Judah, upon the world, but then... He changes and he becomes as evil as the people he was judging. He says his mind changes and he commits the offense, imputing the power to his God. Instead of saying, wow, you know, God has done this. Now, what's noteworthy here is during their fall, we remember that Belshazzar was partying down in the goblets of the temple that were taken from Jerusalem. And we remember in the midst of this party, they were all drinking and getting drunk. And that's when the hand appeared and started carving in the plaster that God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. So we, we know then that drunkenness, partying during the end of the nation of Babylon was very rampant and uh, very recognized. And it says that rather than them honoring God, because again, Nebuchadnezzar, this first world governing empire's king, had a close encounter with God. And God showed him indeed who was God. After uh, Nebuchadnezzar's mind returned to him, after the seven years of him being out in the outside, and the Bible says his back became wet with the dew, and he'd dig in the, in the, in the dirt. Uh, he just literally lost his mind. That The Bible says that he came to his senses. God restored his mind to him, and he praised the eternal God. I We expect, as you would look at this, prayer that uh, Nebuchadnezzar prays out that that he I would expect him to see him in heaven someday because he recognized who God was but of course his descendants didn't just as Hezekiah's son Manasseh did not recognize God though Hezekiah knew who God was just as Nebuchadnezzar knew who God was and recognized him as God, yet his great-grandson did not recognize him. And so it says his mind changed. He committed offense, imputing the power to his God. And then God judges him. Okay, well, this is uh, we, we find the first issue of Habakkuk in the first four verses, talking about how long will we cry, you don't hear, speaking about the violence that's before me and the plundering and the trouble, and, and uh, the, there's never any justice. It's, th- these are all, by the way, conditions of a, of a nation ready to be conquered, whether and no matter what country it is, as the unrighteousness permeates every level of society, uh, then uh, they became easy prey for a conquering empire to come in and conquer them. And so it says, Habakkuk now brings his second thing. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. Now, he's saying that you've appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon wickedness. Why do you look upon those who drill treacherously and your, and hold your tongue when the wicked devours one more righteous than he? Now he's saying, this is, okay God, 
All right, you, you answered my question. The first part there, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Okay, God, we have a wicked nation. Judah's wicked. So God speaks and says, okay, I'm going to rise up the Chaldeans, and they're going to come in with such an iron fist. They're going to smash everything. And he's, Nebuchadnezzar, all this whole governing empire is going to come in. And Habakkuk says, but wait a minute here. They're more wicked than we are. How is it that you're going to use a nation more wicked than us to judge us? Why do you make, verse 14, why do you make men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. They're saying this is the way this this country comes in. They don't even care what they're doing. They're just like throwing a dragnet out there and everything that they scoop up in their net, that's all they're getting. They're evil people. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because their share is scrumptious and their food plenches. Uh, literally, they, they've got more than, because they, as they continue to conquer, they continue to increase their wealth. They take their food, they take their clothes, they, they take all the good stuff. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? He's saying, God, I don't get it here. How is it that you can use the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, to come in and judge us and the rest of the nations, and, and yet you see their cruelty and you see that they don't even care? God, this doesn't seem fair. You ever thought God wasn't fair? This is what basically Habakkuk is crying out to God over. He's, this is kind of interesting that we're able to look into a person who loved God, a person to whom God communicated with, and yet look right into their prayer to find that they have oftentimes the same mumble grumbles against God that you do, that I do. God, how is it that we see the unfairness sometimes? It seems that, God, you're blessing the wicked and you're punishing the righteous. Why is this? Well, as you look at this, you find that Habakkuk is challenging God. Now, in chapter 2, verse 1, as I said earlier, you find Habakkuk now realizes that he's probably overstepped his bounds a bit. What is man? David said that God would be mindful of him. Really? I mean, who are we, little pipsqueak? It'd be like an like an ant looking up at you and saying, What do you think you're doing building your house on my anthill? You know, I mean I mean, you know, really squish, you know, I mean another thing is over, not an issue. What is man that God would be mindful of him? If you really think about it, I mean why would why why do you think God even cares? It's not that God loves us because of who we are, God loves us because of who he is. It's, it's the very nature of God to love us. Not because of who we are, but because who he is. God loves his creation. God loves what he makes. I will stand upon my watch. Now, that's not one of those watches that can take a lick in and keep on ticking. That's not what it's talking about. Literally, he says, I, I'm going to stand and be watchful concerning this. Now, what is that he's watchful for? Interestingly enough, notice this. I will set myself on the rampart, in other words, the place of vantage, so I can see well, and watch to see what he will say to me, notice the next part here, and what I will answer when I am rebuked or reproved. (laughs) You you get what he's saying here? Okay, God, I've shot my mouth off. I'll keep my eyes wide open when when you rebuke me for talking to you like this. I think this is interesting because... I think, first of all, when we recognize our transgressions, God has really no desire to punish us for them. 
when you humble yourself before the Lord, there's no reason for God. What What is the purpose, when you think about it for a minute, what is really the purpose of punishment, really? It's the, in the condition of a child, it's to get your child's attention so they will not continue on the path that they're on. Now, once they've learned that, there's no reason to keep punishing them because they've learned their lesson. That's the way God is. And once you've recognized your sin, that's why the Bible says to confess your faults before the Lord and, 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 and to call upon His name. See, salvation, when you call upon the Lord, God will forgive you if you'll, you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner. But see, the problem is most of the time people don't think they're sinners. They, they want to blame everybody else for the problem. They don't, they don't want to look at themselves. And so when Habakkuk now recognizes and he says, okay, Lord, yeah, I shot my mouth off. Okay. Just don't hit me too hard. And what I will answer when I am reproved. Because he knew that he was actually challenging the way God was doing things. And really, if you look at Scripture, it will tell you a lot concerning how that happens. In fact, all the way through the Bible, you'll find where people challenge God's authority. The way God does things. Now, he says, the Lord answered me and said, you worm. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. The Bible says, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. God enjoys communication with us. And God appreciates honesty with him. I don't think there's anything worse than than praying a prayer, O thou God, thou above all gods, you know, and, you know, and when inside we're saying, amen, God, I'm hurting. God already knows what you're thinking anyway. It's better just to be honest with God and just tell him what you're thinking anyway. Now, again, I need to always respect his position as an authority. I need to respect him as king and savior. But I can also be honest with God. Now, again, the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I may not always be able to rejoice in what's happening to me, but I can rejoice in the Lord. I can't always rejoice in situations. The Bible says to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you, Thessalonians. I, I recognize that, and I, I want to thank the Lord in all things, but but uh, sometimes I, I, I can't. I have a hard time doing that. But I can rejoice in the Lord because I know that ultimately God's plan is being worked out. And as you find God remarking back now to Habakkuk, as Habakkuk feels that he's overstepped his bounds in Maybe saying, God, well, why are you doing this? God doesn't say, look, come back to me another time when you can get your act together or talk to me properly. God responds to him. Now, I think, again, when you want to get honest with God, God will get honest with you. Sometimes, though, we don't want to hear what God has to say when we are honest. Like when you say something like, well, God, why would you do this to me? God says, why would you do it to you? Oh, what do you mean? Well, you're the one that didn't listen to what... He had to say, so you're in this fix because you rebelled against God's law. Every single hurting in my life, I can directly attribute to my rebellion to God. And it's interesting how the enemy manipulates you into rebellion against God, and it's generally through fear. The Bible talks about that, of having a sound mind and, and being bold in your, in your relationship with God, where therefore we go boldly into the throne room of grace and make a request known. Why is that? It's that we're not coward anymore. We know that God has a plan. He's working it out. So now God has told me to stand in faith and say, okay, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens because I know you're going to be faithful. You're going to see me through. I'll tell you something. Sometimes faith, that's all you can do is put one foot in front of another and keep walking. Because if you look at the circumstances in the situation, you'd have gave up. 
These people sometimes that say, well, Lord, you know, if I accept you as Savior, what are you going to do in my life? I want it all spelled out in front of me, and I expect great volumes of, of information before I'm going to serve you. No, no, no. It's a day-to-day relationship with the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread, and that's a lot of times that's all the farther I can go with my relationship with God. You just say, okay, God, today's today. We're going to, you know, and, and the things that oftentimes I'm worried about in the future never happen. Those things I'm worried about of the past never bother. So, you know, one of the things you find in the Scripture is, is, is live for God today in your relationship with the Lord today. Not being careless as if tomorrow isn't going to happen because the Bible talks about occupying till He comes. So we need to be, we need to be wise concerning our time. But at the same time, we have to realize it's a daily relationship with God. And I don't want to hang my hat on, a, on, on something that happened in my relationship with God 20 years ago in, in a Baptist church somewhere or a, breath, a Presbyterian church or something. But what is God doing today, today in your life? And that's hard because sometimes the answer is nothing. Sometimes as we get honest with God, we find that, that our Christianity is a, is a, is a, has become stagnant. Even though we know the Lord, we know the Bible, we know verses, we know all this stuff, and, and we might even be filled with the Spirit and, and be able to have certain gifts and all, but, but our heart's gone cold towards God. What's your common focus? What's your goal? What's your purpose? Well, you know, I just want God to bless my plan. <laughs> well, it's not the way it works. Because God then isn't glorified. He doesn't get the glory you do. And that's why God says, okay, now it's going to go back to a daily relationship with me. Quit looking at the past and the great things I did in your life in the past. See, this is the problem that the nation of Israel had and Judah had. They always look back and said, well, God, look how great you used us in the past. We are Hebrew children. Well, that's great. That's good. But what's God doing in your life today? And God didn't just challenge the Hebrew children that way. He challenges us today as well. Jesus said, you die daily. Now, that's not something that happened a long time ago, again, necessarily, but it's something that happen, happens each day. So I have to say, okay, God, for your common, for your good, I will allow myself to be poured out. You see, that's one of the things that we, we do in our relationship with God. And God is the one that sorts it all out, friends. You can get all white-knuckled over it. You can say, okay, Lord, now you do this. And you know, some days I got the victory better than other days. But God tells us to always trust Him, always rest in Him, and He'll see us through. So... We're going to see that when we get down to verse 4. Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it. (laughs) It's going to be pretty startling. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud... His soul is not upright within him. See, the proud, they rely on another source. The prideful people rely on another source. They rely on their intellect or they rely on their cunningness or their craftiness. They're not relying on God. Notice the last part of verse 4, but the just shall live by his faith. So you see, that's how you live as a Christian. The just shall live by his faith. What you believe is how you live your life. And again, that's why we talk about how important it is that you believe in your parameters and your goals and your paradigm that you live in in your life. As we wrap up today's broadcast of It's Time, if you'd like to order a copy of today's It's Time, you can do so by dialing 800-357-4226. Again, that's 1-800-357-4226. Also, don't forget you can get the daily podcast through iTunes by searching for It's Time in the podcast section of the iTunes store. 
On behalf of Pastor Mike, the River Christian Fellowship, and all of us here at CSN, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.